Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. So first question here is one, the, the student says, my advisor told me that I should try to get, quote, real clinical experience and that my position as a caregiver in a nursing home is not as valuable as clinical experience in a hospital or clinical setting. They said I should try to work as a medical scribe or a medical assistant, which is viewed as more favorable by the admissions committee than my experience as a caregiver. Do you think this is true? Mm. I love it. My advisor said. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, I think that not, not all clinical experience is the same. I would say that. Um, I would also say that all clinical experience, regardless of what it is, can be valuable. And that the value of clinical experience is generated by the student themselves and how they talk about that in their application, in an interview setting, whatever. So if all, you know, if all a student has is um, nursing home, you know, caregiver experience, then I, I, I think that that can be incredibly valuable and can be more valuable to that student than a, than a student who has scribed for a year and doesn't have a clue what's going on and doesn't care. And so I think it's all about how you talk about it and what it means to you and the depth in which you go into it in your in your application. It's the what it's not the what it's the so what we say that constantly. But it is the so what here that's super applicable in this case. So would I think it would be great for that student to broaden their experience to other types of clinical experience? Absolutely. That'd be cool for anybody. But if that's not possible or if you don't want to because you really enjoy the nursing home or whatever, then you create that value and you go with it and you talk about it in your application uh, and why you enjoy it and why it's valuable to you and what you've learned out of it. And, and then you go with that. But uh, I, I don't agree with the premise of the, of the uh, statement by the advisor that says that in and of itself, X is always better than Y. I don't, I don't agree with that. So what do you think, Ryan Gray? Oh, no. You can't hear? Technical difficulties. Seems like Ryan has somehow become muted. Let me unmute him. Nope, can't do it. Ryan huh. needs to un unmute him. Oh, so anyway, so we've got some technical problems going on here. So Rachel Grubbs, um, do we have any of the questions? Let's take a look. Uh, so we've got some questions that I think aren't actually showing up in our box. So yeah. what's going on with tech today? Really? So we do have an interesting, this is not a pre-med related question, but we have a question about the MAP development team and where they're located. And what we can say is they're all over creation. They are everywhere. So one's in Seattle, one's in LA, one's in, I don't know where 
some of the others are, but yeah, I Kansas City. Kansas City. So they're all literally all over the place. And so yeah. it's it's very cool how how that works. The person also asked if we're hiring right now. And uh, the answer is right now, no, but you know, you can always drop a note to info at mapped if you just want us want to be on our radar. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. Any other pre-med questions you guys want to type in the chat? Yeah, just type it in. And I'll, I'll just make a, a further comment about um, the clinical uh, experience that we that we were talking about uh, with that first question. And, and that is, I think that um, students often want to experience the cool things from the get go. You know, they yeah. want to they want to start out and they want to see whether they're volunteering at a hospital or whether they're doing clinical experiences, paid or unpaid or whatever. They want to be able to see the cool things and experience the cool experiences. And, you know, and, and that's mm -hmm. just rare in my in, in my opinion. I've heard I've heard students to get frustrated with clinical experience or with volunteering because they're doing mundane things or or yeah. just things that they define as don't matter. And uh, and so what I would say to that is that students, again, I'll say this over and over, you're going to create your own uh, your your own definition of what matters. Uh, I've heard over and over again, students who have said that they started out filing in the hospital or they started out doing something else and they because of their dependability and reliability they worked their way up to being able to see the cool stuff because they were there constantly and they were doing the hard work and they were showing benefit to the organization and so what i would say for students out there who are stuck in that sort of mundane filing or answering a phone or whatever uh, keep it up and work hard and show that you're committed to doing what you're doing. And, you know, my my expectation is opportunities will arise if you will show that you're there for the long haul, that you're there to do whatever they want you to do, and that you're going to do it with a smile on your face. So keep that in mind as you as you're getting these clinical experiences and uh, and you'll be able to see some of the cool stuff uh, sooner or later is my my feeling. So there was a follow-up question around this. Uh, student says, Dr. Wright, are you familiar with Dr. Bob Mann's free clinic at Mission Arlington? Are you a fan of that sort of experience? I am familiar with that, actually. I used to live in the, in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, Mission Arlington has been going on for, gosh, I would say at least, wow, 30 years or, or probably more than that. And uh, it's a free clinic sponsored by some religious organizations there in the Arlington area. And I am a fan of that. I mean, I think this reaches out to those who need health care, who need the need things that because they don't have insurance or they don't have any other possibility for health care. And they're getting it through this experience and being able for students being able to do something like that really shows healthcare at a very fundamental level where it reaches to people who need it. Uh, the most, and so I, I, I do like that. Ex I do like that experience, and I, and I think again, you know, you create the meaning of it as you as you do it, and so, so that's what I would say. Ryan, are we back on? I'm back. I got you. Woohoo! Hey, we missed you so much. Yeah, we did miss you. <laughs> All right, we got a long question that got cut off, but I think we can get kind of the gist here. Okay. 
Student asks, I've recently decided to finally pursue medicine now that I'm in my junior year as a non-trad. I've worked as a CNA several years ago for about two years, and now I am volunteering for an in-home hospice care and shadowing online given COVID restrictions. I'm concerned that I won't have enough time to acquire in-person shadowing experiences before I can apply. I'm concerned that owing to the pandemic, I won't have enough quote or any in-person shadowing experience before I apply. Would e-shadowing be yeah. beneficial? Yeah, uh, would blah, be blah, blah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, gosh, we talk about this every week, basically. Yeah, and uh, and and you know, and so my my question is: so I, I understand the question. I understand where the concern for the question is coming from. Yeah. But my my point here is: what choice do you have? There, there's no option here. Yeah. And medical schools are going to recognize that and they're dealing with COVID just like everybody else is. So you do what you can do. You eat, you do the e-shadowing, you know, continue volunteering for the, the hospice care and just do what you can. And uh, you've got some CNA experience from a couple of years ago. So you depend on all that and you, and you, and, and you put it out there. And, and my guess is that medical schools are going to be, uh, responsive to that and are, are going to understand that you know this is the way things are right now so yeah but I, I i get it but i don't think that the concern is is um i i don't think that that concern on your part as the student should be very pronounced just because you don't have any options so there's nothing you can do well, let's let's expand the question a little bit and, and say for someone specifically in this situation, should a student look at taking a gap year with the assumption, right? This is a big assumption that in-person shadowing is going to be back in any significant way for the next application cycle. Right. And, and that that makes a lot of assumptions. And uh, so I, I don't I'm not a fan of that taking a gap year just for that very just for that reason alone. I don't think that, you know, what if what if everybody took a gap year this year? We wouldn't have any applicants to medical school. A hundred percent acceptance. <laughs> yeah. <to> medical school. <laughs> right. <That's fun. laughs> So I, I would say no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't recommend that. I say yeah. I say go for it, and and you know you you depend on the medical schools to act reasonably, which they're going to do, and and uh, and they're going to look at you within the context of everything else that's going on. So that's that's all you can do, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree. This yeah. is not a question, but somebody just wrote, I did not know you can read minds, Dr. Gray. Well, obviously. <laughs> it's not it's not something I like to talk a lot about, but it is, <laughs> it is a special. It, no, no, but seriously, I think um I, I think and and not to toot my own horn, but I think that's why I'm able to connect with the pre-meds. Uh, mm -hmm. the community and why I've, I've been able to have a big impact on them is number one, I've been in their shoes, right? I, I've mm -hmm. been through this process. I understand what it's like to be a pre-med. I understand what it's like to doubt yourself uh, at every step. And so um, the, the biggest thing that I do during these sessions or when I talk to a student or whenever I do any sort of podcast or anything is I'm like, Oh, what the heck would I be concerned about if I was still mm -hmm. a pre-med student? And sure, sure. Empathy, empathy 101. Although I, I yeah. don't, I don't show empathy in a, in a lot of places in my life, but oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, our uh, 
proverbial popcorn. You know, I'm always thinking about questions in terms of kernels popping. It's just taking a little while to get going today. Well, um, I want to say, uh, before we get to the next question, let me just say a couple of things. I, for those of you, I don't know how many people read my blog on the MAP website every Every week, but um, last week my post on the on the the, the, the uh, blog was about voting, and so I want to encourage everyone to go out and vote this year, and uh, mainly because healthcare is one of the topics that is a is a big topic, regardless of what side you're on. On you know if you're this way or that way, or if you're liberal or conservative or whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, healthcare is a big topic. And pre-meds are entering into the world of healthcare, and uh, whatever happens in the future in terms of policy, uh, it's going to affect you in a in a in a direct way. And so you need to understand what the um, what the issues are, what the potential solutions are that are being talked about on both ends of the spectrum, and uh, and you need to vote. <clears throat> and I really encourage students to look at. Look at the issues uh, surrounding uh, healthcare in America, and look at it from both perspectives, and and really evaluate kind of what you think uh, the issues are, and, and how you feel about the, the topics, and and look at both perspectives on, on either side of the political spectrum, and try to get uh, a, you know make an opinion of your own about what that means. This could easily come up in a, you know, as a, a topic in an interview, for example. It, it could uh, come up in a variety of ways, and, and it fundamentally will affect all of us as as the uh, uh, as we need healthcare. But it will also affect you in terms of your future in in uh, in the healthcare uh, in the field and in and how you will practice medicine in the future. Is going to be affected by these policy issues, and so I, I really encourage you to get out and vote, uh, inform yourself about the issues, and and vote. So that's my plug for voting. Vote, yeah, and it's it's interesting. So just kind of a piggyback on that in terms of left versus right, uh, conservative, liberal, etc. Um, I I listened to an amazing podcast episode on Planet Money. And it was framing or framed Canada or Canada framed or something like that. And it was an amazing discussion around how our political system, how our lobbying system in this country completely screwed everyone over uh, in terms of, of uh, citizens in this country. The, the healthcare lobby the um the hospital groups the private insurance groups the pharmaceutical industries uh it had a huge pr push to make it look like the canadian healthcare system was this horrible thing um that you would die in the um in the hallway of the hospital because right, they right. room for you etc and they made they, right. they took one picture out of context and made it look like that was the whole system and and it was someone who was like in charge of all of that basically grew a conscience after um someone died because the the health insurance company that he was representing uh delayed care for too long and, and the patient ended up dying even as they they reversed course because of the political pressure and and just um the publicity and he grew conscious, wrote a book about it, and I was a big whistleblower in the industry. And mm. it's just amazing to to think about, right? That's that's our 
capitalistic yeah, country yeah, that we have. Yeah. And and right or left, I think the the goal of coming to the table and discussing it is to go, well, is that right? Yes or no? Mm-hmm. And I would assume most people would say, no, that's not right that we do that. So how do we go from here? How do we fix we, it? We yeah. need both of those <clears throat> voices. We need a conservative voice and a liberal voice to to come to the conclusion of where do we move forward from here? So yeah, absolutely. Good discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, here we got a couple of questions. Good. What are your thoughts on being a standardized patient? Is it a way to see patient care from the patient's point of view? I love this question. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of students who are standardized patients in, in the medical schools. Um, yeah. I, I, I would love to hear your point of view cause I have one. Well, I have a point of view and I have to, I have to admit that it is somewhat biased because I myself was a standardized patient <laughs> and, uh, I loved it. I loved doing it, uh, because it was super cool. And, uh, I, I, it sort of allowed me to sort of, um, fantasize about this, this latent actor that was in me somehow and uh be be this uh you know this emmy winning star or whatever and um but i like i like you know virtually every medical school uses standardized patients if you if you don't know what a standardized patient is basically an actor Mm -hmm. who uh portrays a series of uh, symptoms uh some standardized patients get uh only get a history taken from them so it's all, all verbal but there are standardized patients who actually get physical examinations uh, as well. And, uh, and I think it is a good way to view. Now, I, so your point is, is it a good way to see patient care from a patient's point of view? I think the best way to see uh, patient care from a patient's point of view is to actually be the patient, which we all are. We all go to the doctor and everything. But I think, it's a, it, it's, I think the benefit here is it, it, it benefits the educational process of these students. And it really helps them learn uh, from both their mentors' points of view as well as because most standardized patients get some input into um, how things went in the history or in the uh, uh, in the physical exam or whatever is going on. And so I I, lo- I loved being a standardized patient. I, I think students benefit from standardized patients. And uh, I'm a real fan of it. I've had I've had other acquaintances and friends who have done it, and uh, you know they enjoy it. And uh, so it's it's a great thing. I, I I I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, Ryan. Yeah, I I think my my thought is that it's not a good way to see the healthcare system. Right. right. It's it's a good right. way to have some fun interaction with the medical students, right? Uh, or right. PA students, or whoever it is that you're right. interacting with. Exactly. Um, it's obviously a forced scenario. Mm-hmm. As a standardized patient, you are you are basically an actor, and you right. are given strict uh, guidelines guidelines yeah. on what mm-hmm. to say. If they ask this type of question, then you respond with this. Mm-hmm. Here are your mm-hmm. symptoms. Don't deviate. And right. so your specific interaction is very fixed. Yeah. And and obviously That's you right. you are interacting with a student who is learning how to communicate with you. Um and, and so just just for a tiny little bit of background. So this is what I teach when I'm able to go to the University of Colorado School of Medicine is I am one of the instructors for their communications course. So um it's not the um it's not a physical exam uh 
course that I teach, but it's it's the actual communication. So it's just mm -hmm. in a classroom setting, and it's this the first year and second year mm -hmm. medical students learning how to communicate with standardized patients, learning how to take a history, learning how to to communicate um, uh, uh, bad outcomes or whatever it is right and so i have i have some experience on on that side as well i i've never personally been a standardized patient um and so students who have this experience i think uh do both things i think they they lean on the experience too hard and say oh look this was amazing experience i got to learn all about this stuff i'm like well no you didn't really learn anything other than you got to see a student be taught um it doesn't it doesn't teach you about healthcare it doesn't teach you about medicine it doesn't really teach you anything uh other than it's cool to be in a medical school or wherever you are um and then i think it, on the other side i think students will will listen to that and go well it's meaningless i'm like no it's not meaningless you're starting to learn how to communicate as a healthcare provider and and that's huge and and maybe that'll give you a little bit of head start when you yourself are going through this course uh, but i wouldn't I wouldn't lean on it to try to sell it as anything super fancy to help you get into medical school. Agreed. Uh, I think, I, I think you're right. <clears throat> I think it, it's, it's cool. It's uh, beneficial for the students, but yeah, I think in terms of the application process, I don't think it's going to mean a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just to, to reiterate, right. It's, it's not clinical experience. Correct. Yes. I agree with that. It's pseudo-clinical experience. It is pseudo, pseudo-clinical. Maybe an odd <laughs> question, but is there any sort of value in having gone through major surgeries or health issues in any way? Uh, in a way, you did get to see healthcare from the patient's perspective. Yeah, this comes up quite a bit, I think, in, in applications. Either um, major surgeries or healthcare issues of your own or of a close family member. These are very common scenarios that are covered in applications. Uh, most of the time, they're either, either covered as this is what was the seed for my interest in medicine. Was this event happening in my life or in my mother's life or whatever? Or this is what really focused me and, and I learned a lot from it. And, and this propelled me into really, um, uh, you know, being sure that this is the path that I wanted to go down. And, uh, and so I, I, th I definitely think it's valuable, uh, of course, depending on how you talk about it and what you, what you talk about in terms of the learning aspect of, of the experience. Again, it's not the what, it's not that you had this major surgery or illness or whatever. It's the, so what it's about, you know, okay. You know, we, we, we hear these stories a lot. So what, you know, what we got to, we got to hear deeper about why this is important to you. Yeah. So, uh, so yes, it's not an odd question at all. I don't think, but I, I think it's all in how you talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it comes up all the time. And obviously in my, my personal statement book, I talk about the seed and for a lot of students, personal illness, injury, it is a seed. Cause that's the first time you've been exposed to healthcare, you're in and around healthcare. Yeah. Where I think students fall flat is is exactly your point is is the what versus the so what. I think a lot of students just stop at, well, I had this experience, therefore I should be a physician. And I always re 
my my rebuttal to that is well lots of people are injured have illnesses mm-hmm. and they don't want to be physicians why was it this experience for you yeah. or lots of people lose parents at an early age to cancer to other illnesses and injuries mm-hmm. why did that experience propel you forward to want to explore this career what did you see what did you experience what did you feel that reflection is usually what's missing with students and that's that that's so what that you love to uh love yeah. to harp on because it's it's yeah. so important yep absolutely it is cool so what yeah <laughs> so what can you talk about mm. what you think are the three or more biggest turnoffs in an application from a reviewer's perspective oh wow all right <laughs> Let, let's let's do this um let's, let's do this, what not uh, to do <laughs> no uh what's uh what's that show um uh that steve harvey hosts now uh oh i don't know darn it. what's the show rachel family you know feud. yeah family feud we're gonna, oh, do right. it. we're gonna do a family feud style what's we up on asked, the board <laughs> we asked one <laughs> former director of admissions <laughs> the three biggest turnoffs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh wow! You know, I I, I think there there are a number of things that kind of come to my mind initially. One of them is when a student has uh, just flat out mistakes in their application, mm-hmm. uh, misspelled words, you know, bad grammatical errors, uh, you know, things that any applicant, if they're even you know a little bit um, careful on the application, would catch. And uh, it's very frustrating for a reviewer to see that this this is literally probably up until that point in this person's life, the most important thing that they've ever done. And they screwed it up. And so that's that is a big turnoff to me. And and I know we used to discuss that a lot in the in the admissions committee when something would come up with a, with a um, with, you know, flags like that. It's just like, really? And I've t- I think I've talked about this before. We had a student one year who spoke throughout his application that he wanted to go into surgery and he misspelled surgery every time (laughs) yeah and so needless to say he didn't get in but at least he didn't get into our school so uh i i always get lots of students like it 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 inevitably happens as soon as you click submit that's when the one typo pops out yeah and i'm like calm down it's all right like there's nothing you can do about it now if it's just that one i'm sure it's fine yeah um yeah no, I'm talking about trend. I'm talking about yeah. a trend or, you know, a number of different, you know, errors or, you know, just, it, it, you know, I'm talking about something that comes across as this student was not careful. Yep. They, they did not put their full energy and their full focus into this process. They half-assed it throughout and this is what you got. And so that is not the kind of medical student that we wanted to, because that's the kind of medical school student they're going to be in school. They're going to half-assed it throughout. And, and that's just not, that, that's not what we wanted. And I think there's a lot of medical schools that, that they're just not going to want that kind of student. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and I think, you know, uh, I, I think another thing that comes across uh, poorly in an application uh, that can be a big turnoff is arrogance. And arrogance comes out in a lot of different ways uh, in an application. You know, we really literally had applicants who, I mean, to, 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 to hear the tone of their personal statement, you would think literally they were on the verge of a Nobel Prize. 
Yes. <laughs> they, they, I mean, it was just, it was in the mail or something, you know, yeah. whatever. And, and it, it just seeped with this sort of overinflated, you know, uh, idea of their own value or whatever. And, and, you know, I, nobody likes that. It's just like, you know, or, and, and, and a, uh, uh, something very close to that, uh, is, um, when a student talks so negatively about the American healthcare system or about doctors that they've experienced and that they want to be better than all the doctors they've ever experienced. And they may not say it in that word, in those words, but the tone of the, uh, the tone of the uh, personal statement comes across as I am single-handedly going to change the way the public views medicine. Mm. And, uh, and, and it just, that's a big turnoff because, you know, you're dealing in a group of, uh, of an admissions committee of at least half, if not probably more clinicians. And so what you're saying, you're, you're basically indicting them, uh, in, in with what you're saying. And it's just, it's, it, you know, it's just, come on, really, uh, you know, get it, get a bit of a clue here. So. That's a big that, turnoff. I see that a bunch uh, yeah. uh, where, unfortunately, a loved one or, or themselves were treated poorly. And, yeah. and they're like, oh, this is terrible. The health care system's horrible. And I alone can uh -huh. say that. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> I have no uh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> was that three? Uh, yeah, I, I think, think it was three. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, good enough. Yeah, those are big ones, though. Yeah. <laughs> Difference between SMP and postback. So M as in Mary, not mm -hmm. N as in Nancy, mm -hmm. or or in the uh, the military. I need to stick to my military. M as in Mike, and N as in November. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So SMP and postback. So all SMPs are postbacks, but not all postbacks are SMPs. Correct <laughs> is one way of putting it that I that yeah. often do. So yeah, just generically, right? A, a post back is anything after your bachelor's degree, and mm -hmm. then in in terms of what we talked about in terms of getting into medical school, a po general post back is an undergraduate level coursework. Mm -hmm. Whether you do it at uh, a formal post back where it's a specific school or curriculum set up that you apply to to take the courses and whether it's a career changer post back where you haven't taken any science courses and now you're switching careers and you want to go to medical school or you just graduated you want to go to medical school after not taking any science courses versus an academic enhancer program where you maybe were pre-med or some other science major and you have lots of science courses under your belt and you just need to improve your gpa yeah. Uh, or you just go back to community college or yeah, four do DIY mm -hmm. and, and do it yourself yeah. versus a special master's program, which is master level coursework, right. but but usually a very spe a specific curriculum mm -hmm. that these schools set up and charge you a crap ton of money to do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're connected with a medical school. Yep. And undergraduate postbacks mm -hmm. potentially are as well. Yeah. Yeah. A but a lot of times there, there are, there are SMPs that are at resident at medical school. You're schools. taking classes with mm -hmm. the first year students. That's correct. Yep. That's yep. correct. Definitely. And students often think, Oh, that must mean, you know, I'll have a you know better chance of getting in somewhere or whatever. And I don't know if that's true or not. I, I guess in some cases it might be and others, okay. I, I'm not sure. So it's a, it's a little bit of, 
cold hard facts on whether yeah. you can handle medical school because you are yeah. basically yeah. in absolutely. medical school. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I did a post uh that turned into a second bachelor's degree at the same institution as my original undergrad. Is this still considered a post back? Yeah. Absolutely, it is. It's post bachelor's degree. Um, so yeah, absolutely, it's considered that. Now, I will say I don't recommend that pathway. Mm. Um, doing a post back at the same institution, I think. Um, I think, in fact, that that sometimes it hurts a, 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 it hurts a little bit. Plus, it's a, a new start. Sometimes it's beneficial. Uh, to get to a new institution and kind of start over and really with the faculty and everything, they don't really know you. And so there, there, there are no biases or expectations either way. And, yeah. and, uh, and I think that um, it can be beneficial to, to go to a different institution, but it's not necessarily bad to stay at the same institution. I, I just think that uh, optimally it might be better to, to move to a different school. If yeah, you have very, that choice, it's very similar to students who need to retake the MCAT and mm -hmm. they they retake the same full length exam and they go, right. oh, look, I got a 510. I'm like, well, I took took the same test three months ago. And got a 500. So <laughs> and I remember really that question. <laughs> right. So so that's where there's some benefit of going somewhere else, because are you just kind of using what you've learned before at the same institution, kind of the same curriculum, the same tests, and you're doing better because of that? Or, um, or are you just moving forward? Yeah. So a little bit extra here, the student saying that the original degree was in business. So this would be almost like a, a career changer post back and and it yeah. probably is is much better yeah yeah I, I agree with that yeah and and, and like i said I, and she said or he or she said at the end of that is it still bad i i didn't say it was bad to start with yeah. i said maybe optimally you know moving to a different institution would be better but it's not bad and and i definitely think that you're right that being in a total different uh, field at the same institution can can really changes that dynamic quite a bit and so yeah, yeah i think that's fine that does make a difference. Yeah. Can you suggest a book or a podcast where one can learn about the U.S. healthcare system? Uh, I do have a book. It's called The Healthcare Handbook, and it was written by medical students back in the day. Um, I think they're on their second or third version at this point. That's the one that I, I get a lot of feedback from students after reading it based on my recommendation. They go, oh, now I understand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 I, I I'd like to put a big plug, and this is a little bit different in terms of the authorship and and, and the, the, the 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 topics involved. But I'm a real fan of Atul Gawande and his books. I love Atul, and he is so good, and he's such a good writer, and he, the perspective that he brings. Uh, on the, the various topics of his books are just incredible. And, yeah. and I do think you get a little bit of a window into the healthcare system, not in the same way that you're going to get a window into the politics of it all and the structure, et cetera. Yeah. But I do think you get a little bit of a window into, into the, the, the process of, of healthcare and, and of uh, patient centeredness or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but I just, he's such a good writer that I think it, it, it's the, the books and they're easy reads. They're not, they're not big long books and, and they're, they're really easy to read. And so if, if any of you out there haven't read any uh, books on a tool by a tool, I would really recommend that you, you pick one up. 
Yeah, being mortal is great. Good oh, yeah. Event. End of yeah. life care. Oh, yeah. Specifically here. Um, checklist manifesto as a mm-hmm. as a pilot, I think, is is phenomenal. I love oh, yeah. checklists and, and standard operating procedures. Oh, yeah. things. Oh, and then yeah. one other one kind of to piggyback on that as well is a recent one that I read from Dan Heath called uh, Upstream. And mm. I didn't know it when I started reading it, but it's basically all about the healthcare system. Right, right. Uh, and that's a really, really good book. One more plug for a book that I think every pre-med should read. And this book, I think I have it on my shelf somewhere, um, is um, called uh, The Amazing... Oh, no. I'm just now blanking on the... Here it is right <laughs> here. I do have it. It is called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Oh, yes. The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. And this this book by Re- Rebecca Sklut is an amazing book. It is fantastically written uh, and uh, really gives you a window into the the there's so there's so much there. There's there's social issues, there's there's racial ethnic issues, there's medical uh, ethics issues. There's just a lot packed into this book and it's so fantastically written. It just captivates you. So I would strongly recommend any uh, pre-med student read the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Super I, great. Book. I have not read that one yet. I, uh, you I, need I, to, I know of, of her uh, and, and her cell line and everything that it's done. Oh yeah. And the you need to, behind it, but I've never read the book. The, the book is fantastic. So I'm going to give you an, I'm going to give you an assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Mapped book club. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, does it matter if I don't have any clinical volunteering hours and less than a hundred hours of non-clinical volunteering? I have more than 15,000 hours of paid clinical experience. Thanks for your help. So this is one of those big myths that we're constantly fighting that there's a difference or one is better than the other between paid versus clinical or paid versus volunteer clinical experience, right? Clinical is clinical. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I, you know, I, I do think that, you know, I, I think that having some sort of volunteer experience, whether it is clinical or, or not clinical, I think does address something about your interest in caring for people when you're not getting any necessarily benefit out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it's a big slam against you if you don't have that. You know, some people just have to work and and they're working and, and they just don't have a whole lot of opportunity or time to do school and do work and, and everything. Yeah. But, you know, I do think that, you know, that all of us, whether we're applicants to medical school or not, you know, should really, you know, see some sort of volunteer efforts in our lives as beneficial. We learn a lot from it about ourselves and about the plight of others in, in this country or in our, in our society and, and uh, et cetera. You know, whether you're teaching you know, kindergartners how to read or whether you're helping, you know, at a, a, a art museum, you know, whatever, you know, whatever you're doing. Yeah, but it does show a little bit about how you um, are interested in impacting the world around you. So but having said that, it, it's not a it's not a big slam against you if you don't if you can't do that. Rachel likes Maps Book Club. Oh, yeah. Cool, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, for host. Thanks for hosting these. How do you recommend students get over their imposter syndrome caused fear of putting themselves out there in terms of both advocating for themselves and finding and applying for opportunities? 
speaking for myself. Uh, well, that's step one is you're speaking for yourself. And not, <laughs> right. I have a friend who. Yeah, has... it's asking for a friend. Right? Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting. I did. Um, I don't know if it's come out yet. I did an Ask Dr. Gray recently about imposter syndrome. So, so step one, go listen to that. I, I've done a pre-mid years episode with Mama Dr. Jones on TikTok and Instagram fame um, uh, about imposter syndrome. And that was a while ago, so you can, you can go look at that. But really, at its core, imposter syndrome is just normal doubt and anxiety. And in the Ask Dr. Gray episode, I, I talked about, I talked with the student, it was, I was with a student doing, doing this, and, and she had the same question. And I said, at its core, physiologically, fear and excitement are the same, physiologically. And when you are about to click send on that email, asking for an opportunity, when you step into the hospital the first time, third year, as someone on rotations, when you step foot in the hospital for the first times as an intern, uh, when you step into the hospital for the first time as a fellow, when you step into the hospital for the first time as an attending, this imposter syndrome never goes away. It's your interpretation of your feelings that really makes a difference. Are you scared? Do you want to interpret those feelings as being scared, aka imposter syndrome? Or do you want to interpret those feelings as being excited? Same, same physiological response, right? Same increased uh, blood pressure, increased heart rate, sweating, etc. But you're telling yourself something different. Your perception is different because you are able to interpret it differently and go, oh, this is so exciting. I've worked so hard to get here, and now I get to go go hang out on the floor and help someone. I get to go hang out and be a part of the team. Versus, oh my God, I don't belong here. I'm not smart enough. This is a mistake. I, I, know I, should, I knew I should have stayed up later and studied more and blah, blah, blah. All right. the, the schools are not going to put you in a position where you are going to hurt someone if you are not good enough to be in that position. Yeah. So you have to trust yourself and, and yeah. reinterpret those feelings as excitement. And that's step one. And then step two is just understanding that it never goes away and you're just going to yeah. have to consistently tell yourself i'm a huge fan of um of uh positive affirmations whether yep. you're writing them or saying Self them. self-talk yeah yeah gratitude journals uh what you're excited for what you're grateful for every day um uh the the positive affirmations whether you you write them on big pieces of paper you put them around your house house you write them on your mirror with lipstick or uh dry erase markers <laughs> or whatever um just really waking up and seeing in the mirror every every day like i belong here this is yeah. this is my day whatever i i did that in the back of my um my interview book i i did an affirmations thing and it kind of came out of nowhere and I, I don't really remember why I did it. I just knew that it, again, putting myself in the student's shoes, I, I remember that, that it's, it's a scary day. And so on the last, the, the last page of the book, I have these, these positive affirmations. Today is your day. Today you are going to impress. You have worked so hard to get to this point. You deserve to be here. You have prepared well. You are ready. Take a breath, stand tall, be confident, smile, relax, have fun. You got this. And this yeah, is probably awesome. one of the most shared things from this book is just like a, a 
picture of that page. Um, just telling yourself, this is yeah. where I'm supposed to be. I'm ready for this. That's awesome. I did a, pre a pre interview prep for a young lady just this morning. And uh, the majority of our time on um, just me affirming her and just talking about you got this, you know, just the stuff that you just wrote there, uh, Ryan, it's, uh, it, it's so important. And cause she had had, unfortunately a pre-med uh, committee in her background that had really banged on her quite a bit in terms of, uh, in terms of, and it deflated her incredibly. And mm -hmm. so she really needed that, uh, that, encouragement and stuff so and, and so I, I agree completely with that i think self-talk and positive affirmation is so important because we all deal with imposter syndrome medical schools talk about it a lot because every medical student deals with it and uh it's just a big issue and i i think part of the solution to it is not only positive affirmation self-talk from yourself from you know in and of yourself but is also surrounding yourself with people who are going to affirm you as well. And, uh, you know, whether it's peers in your pre-med class or whether it's other friends or family members or whoever, mentors, you know, you need to surround yourself with people that are positive, that, that really will help you see the best of you. And, uh, and when you have negative people in your life, it has a huge effect on you. So I, I say jettison the negativity and, and seek out those people who are going to be really positive influences influences on you. Yeah. And, and expanding a little bit, the the ones who are negative, cut them out of your life or spend less time with them. Yep. And uh, there's absolutely, a, there's a saying from, I think Jim Rohn is the original guy, but there, it may be older than that is you are the average of the five people you hang out with. Mm -hmm. And so really making sure that you're surrounding yourself with the people who you want to be like. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing Scott. I want to add to that. Oh, go ahead, Rachel. Uh, cause some of the question was like, how do I even put myself out there to ask for opportunities? Um, I definitely agree about embracing anxiety or fear as excitement. It's part of the process. Like that's literally your body telling you it's time to go do some work now. Right. Um, but also intellectually having a sort of check-in with the fact that, Rejection is normal and it's not personal. Right. Um, no does not mean anything about you. It means not a fit, not right now. Yeah. And um, everybody who's ever found a job they loved is probably going to tell you about all the rejections they had along the way. Yeah. That's right. right. I, mean, I love all the stories of like how many times Oprah failed, how many times <laughs> right. Spielberg failed, how many times Michael Jordan failed. Like all these like uh, we we know Michael Jordan for being the 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 person who's clutch at the end of the game, but they never talk about oh well he missed a ton of those shots as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. So I just want to put that out there because you can psych yourself up and get a no, and I think then it's like that repeated psyching yourself up. And some of it is, I know, and Scott, you're talking about this on one of these upcoming Thursdays and our, our personal traits workshops is, is resilience, yeah. you know, just right. understanding that no is not personal. No doesn't mean forever. It means not right now, not this particular situation. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. 
I sold, uh, I was one of those Cutco knives sales people in college and Ugh. I loved it. I love the, the sales really? process. Yeah. And, and they teach you going through the sales process that, that the average salesperson gets seven no's before they get a yes. And so oh, yeah. you just have to go through that process and be okay with rejection. Absolutely. 30% conversion for a sales rep is great. Um, yeah. That's that's a that's a good salesperson, and you know what? It's also a good baseball um, batter. <laughs> yeah, batting average. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So I right. wanted to just uh, expand as well, Scott. You had mentioned that you did a mock interview with a student. You you mm -hmm. are um, Maps advisor at this point, so you do yep. um, personal statement editing, application prep, one on one mm -hmm. mock interviews, just. Um, private advising if a yep, student is yep. just at the beginning of their journey. So yeah. if you would like some more personalized help and want to hang out with Dr. Wright more, you can uh, go check out map.com slash services for that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, this hour has gone by fast. It has. Wow. It's all fun and games. Yeah, it is. Um, all right, Rachel, are we done? I think we are. We'll, we'll call it quits here. Yeah. Another great you, episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we missed a couple. Um, I, I love it when you guys ask questions, although unfortunately we kind of got a lot late in the game, but as always, you can always, um, post when you see me list the event for next week and we'll get to you. We'll get to yeah, you. Then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank Super you duper. Hanging out. Thank we'll you. Absolutely. Adios. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.